Today's guest on the podcast is Kyle Kingsbury. Kyle is a retired American professional mixed martial artist. You may know him from the UFC and also Spike TV's Ultimate Fighter series. He works with Onnit now, and they are a group with like taking total human optimization and teaching folks how to make the most of their mental, physical, and every aspect of their life from nutrition to wellness to meditation, pretty much any area that will optimize you as a human, hence the term total human optimization. He is friends with Aubrey Marcus, who has a book out, which is Own the Day, Own Your Life. And there's also a podcast, the On It podcast, which Kyle is actively a participant in. And he has a great solo podcast that I will post the link to um, in the show notes that you guys, I encourage you to all check out. So have a great day. Enjoy this episode with Kyle Kingsbury. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Kyle Kingsbury. Hi, Kyle. How's it going, Meredith? Good. Sorry for the technological difficulties. No issues. You're a podcaster. You get it. They just appear out of nowhere. (laughs) I get it. I've had to uh, completely revamp and reboot Skype many times. Yeah. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Lots to talk about. Let's start with your life and your hard road traveled and how you've kind of gotten to where you are today. Do you have a short version of your amazing story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's see. Uh, Grew up playing football, started at 10, and um, finished at Arizona State. Got into mixed martial arts shortly after. Had some difficulties growing up, fought a lot, things like that, and um, ended up finding a lot of peace in fighting professionally. And uh, that served as a catalyst to want to learn more. You know, I realized very quickly that the time I spent not fighting or training was time that could be spent um, learning more to really further my career and my recovery. So diving into a number of different books, I've often said that I've read more in my fight career than I ever did in college and prior. And uh, yeah, had gone through uh, depression and a number of things and came out of that on the other side. Um, really, yeah, let's, let's talk about the night you visited the parking garage. <laughs> yeah, you know, why we're laughing, I don't know, but <laughs> that, well, it's, I'm laughing because it's, uh, to give the short of it, it's kind of hard. So I do refer people to the solo podcast I did on the on it podcast. Yeah. I'll post a link to that cause it's really worth watching. Yeah. Um, you know, there was so much in my life where I many times considered suicide uh, since I think as early as six or seven years old and really uh, post football was not looking at any anything that seemed like I wanted to do you know like I didn't want a desk job I didn't want to go into sales or do the things my parents did and I really missed that camaraderie and, and aspect of being on a team I also missed the physical outlet of hitting people face to face like I did on the defensive line and just working out and running on a treadmill was not doing it. I also had um, a relationship I was in early on, and it just seemed like 
if I'm honest, I, I guess I felt that no one would ever love me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so, and I had a number of prescription medications that I'm not a fan of. At the time, I didn't realize how problematic they were, but Xanax, Valium, Vicodin, um, pretty much took every pill that I had down the hatch and decided to drive up to the top of parking lot seven at Arizona State to jump. And uh, took all my clothes off. Thankfully, a security guard saw me uh, driving up at an odd hour and probably not driving well. And um, he came up after me, saw that I was naked. I remember him saying, whoa. uh." (laughs) And, you know, at that point, I didn't grow up religious or anything of that nature, but there was this overwhelming sense of peace that I had. And the answer was not yet. You know, like, I don't, I'm not going to do it now. I can die later, but not yet, not now. And this feeling of love and warmth and, and it's okay. And that's the first time I've ever felt that. I don't know what that is. I don't like to label things. Obviously, a lot of people say, you know, God or whatever, but that, that turns a lot of people off as well. And I'm not, certain of anything i'm just certain of the fact that uh, this feeling washed over me and who knows maybe it was the fucking medication doing its job sorry if i'm <laughs> no we're an explicit podcast there we go and, That's uh, away. and so um you know i woke up a couple days later in a medical facility and then spent some time in what my mother calls the loony bin and <laughs> mine too was it was funny because a lot of people there had serious problems and it's not to say mine weren't serious but they saw you know a handsome young man who was athletic just finished playing football and all my family was there and they're like dude your whole family's here you're you're an athlete you look great like what are you doing in here you know and and, um that didn't solve much it just got kind of started getting the wheels spinning and then i went on the roller coaster of ssris and different medications coming out was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and Truthfully, I think it was was lithium was the exact prescription I got that turned me into a mute. Like there was no high, there was no low. I couldn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And I realized then I'm not going to take pills anymore. I don't give a shit what they prescribe or what the diagnosis is. And from that point on, really started to feel better. Like I felt grounded in the earth. Like I kind of knew where I was at. I started to be comfortable in my own skin. And... Um, that's when I got turned on to fighting, which was a great outlet and a great tool. And fighting taught me so much more than how to hurt people, which was really my goal initially. <laughs> taught me the importance of meditation. It taught me how to quiet and still my mind, which are all key elements. You know, if you look at any master of martial arts like Bruce Lee, you don't fight angry. You're you fight best when you're calm and alert. And so, finding practices of breath work and meditation and Many different forms of visualization have really, you know, led me to want to dive into that deeper, you know, and all at the same time with health and wellness, diet, nutrition. Um, the first time I did an elimination diet and realized I was gluten intolerant, that was a absolute game changer for me. And I realize a lot of people will say that's a fad thing and most people are fine on gluten and, and maybe that's true, but for me, it certainly wasn't the case and this is something I ate three square meals a day and probably for snacks my entire life. Right. So taking that with my chest really showed me like, damn, diet can make a huge difference. And that really was the seed um, for all the other learning that I wanted to do when it came to diet and wellness and um, getting done with fighting, wanted to heal the brain. I realized very quickly uh, looking at older teammates and different people that I had fought with 
it is taking its toll. Anytime I get hit in the head hard enough to break bone, which has happened a number of times, uh, it's going to take some long-term damage there. It's going to take its toll on my body. So that really, you know, was fuel for me to learn everything about cognitive optimization and the ways that we can heal the brain through diet and, and biohacks and nootropics and everything on the list. So it's it's been a it's been a very long road, but at the same time, I feel like I've never been in a place where my brain has worked this well. Um, the first time I went into a ketogenic diet, I thought maybe I should go back to school because I was retaining information in a way that I had not before. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, continuing to read post fight career and and really that's when I got into the ketogenic diet and different ways to play with carbohydrates, carbohydrate backloading targeted keto, things like that. Um, there was just so much to it and it made a lot of sense. A lot of old injuries that I had and systemic inflammation seemed to go away. Uh, Mm -hmm. many more things than just, Oh, this will help me lose weight. I mean, I was already lean. I didn't need to lose weight, but so much more goes into that. And, um, you know, the ketogenic diet isn't for everyone, but different forms of fasting are. and, And you could say that carb restriction is a form of fasting, you know? So I think diving deep down the rabbit hole with Longer period extended fast. I've done a couple for five days with water only. I've done a handful three day fast with water only and a number of 24 hour fasts. So, and now my wife and I do 16 8 intermittent fasting pretty much daily, 365 days a year. And we're finding a lot of benefit with that. So, there, there are ways that people can structure things to make it more um, accommodating because it's hard. You know, we, the last right. five-day fast, I had to literally take off work for it. I, I went out to Sedona and just immersed myself in nature outside of work, outside of family life because you are a bit irritable. You don't sleep well. <laughs> There's a number of things that go into that. So it's not, right. hey, I'm going to go for this fast this week. I mean, that's a good way to fail. Uh, right. To still go to work and try to still be dad. So I always have this dumb idea that I'm going to do a fast on family vacation. I, I don't know <laughs> why I do that, but – I, I guess I think, you know, we're going to be in a relaxing environment. I should just do a three-day fast. And it's a nightmare. You're right. You have to get away from humans. <laughs> yeah, it's important. And that solitude allows for a lot of other things. I was getting quite a few downloads, uh, perspective shift on a lot of things, and just a lot of information comes in when the body doesn't have to digest food. The brain works yeah. differently in those states. And I think it's, it's an amazing tool if used correctly. I want to back up for a minute. I definitely want to come back to to keto and fasting, but back to your time in the quote-unquote loony bin. When you you mentioned something, you know, here's a guy who's got, by all appearances, has it together. You you were in shape. You you know, you you just seem to have it together. But I think what's interesting with when people suffer, that suffering we tend to compare – are suffering to other people like oh I should not be suffering because I'm privileged I'm you know have all these things going for me I should just be grateful like what do you what is your response to that sort of comparison suffering culture yeah I think that's why for sure we do it we all do it you know and and I think that's why I tried to give the caveat in the solo podcast was like look everyone goes through their own shit the rich kid who has a dad that never sees him goes through quite a bit. There's science that shows children that were beat by their parents felt more love than children who had parents that were never around that didn't give a shit about them. Mm-hmm. That's that's a weird way. I'm not advocating beating your kids as a means to show them love. I'm just saying there's there's something to that. And um, 
you know, my situation is, it's no different than anyone else's who is in suffering. I mean, the, the bottom line is I felt complete constriction in a way like there's no way out. And when you feel things that are that dire, like this will not improve, it will never get better. If you truly believe that, the only, the only way out is to end your life. And I think that's why that came up so often for me early on was because I knew there is a way out. And um, thankfully now I don't think that way. I have a kid I would never leave, a beautiful wife who's amazing. And, um, you know, there's 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 more to it. It's not just me on the line. I, I, having a sister and parents, I didn't give a shit. It really didn't matter to me uh, because the situation was something where I just felt like this isn't going to improve. And it did improve, but it just took a lot longer than I had hoped. And same thing with relationships and things like that. You know, everything can improve the more tools that you have. But if we don't have those tools, that's really the rub. If we're, wherever we're at in life, if we don't have a tool to shift our consciousness, whether that be the correct use of plant medicines or different forms of breath work and meditation, if I have no way of downregulating myself from this fight or flight sympathetic state into a rest and digest parasympathetic state, I'm screwed. And I really didn't know any of those things until fighting. Fighting is where it kind of came. At the same time I had this outlet to get rid of my pain, I was given tools that would help me when I didn't have fighting anymore. And so it, let's talk about fighting. What kind of fighting are you talking about? For I those fought, who don't know. Yeah, I fought in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, cage fighting for people that don't watch. Uh, for six years, I was eight years pro. Uh, retired in 2014 and you know you put on small gloves it's mixed martial arts so uh, it's not anything goes they changed the rules quite a bit from the early days on with UFC but um you know more or less it, it's to allow as many moves as possible without um, you know long-term injury so you can't eye gouge you can't hit to the groin you can't pull hair but Pretty much everything else is allowed. You can elbow, you can knee to the face, you can um, punch people on the ground on top of them, you can choke them, break their arm, you can do <laughs> much everything. So I love how you can do all that, but you can't pull hair. I mean, you know, priorities. Well, I think the hair pulling is... is for the neck. Yeah, for, for being yeah. punched, you know. What about leg hair? Can you can you pull leg hair? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the people that have leg hair. That's not... <laughs> uh, so... Um, Let's go back to, you know, talking about the tools you said that you have in your toolbox to kind of make life more bearable. When you're talking to someone who perhaps is at that point where you are standing on the parking garage, where do they start? When life feels completely hopeless, what is the first step in your mind toward telling them, not necessarily telling them, but allowing them to intuit or to discover that there is hope? Well, you, they have to feel it for themselves. That's the first issue, right? So, I mean, if you tell somebody, hey, working out's going to make you feel better and it's going to raise endorphins and it's going to change neurochemistry and you're going to lose weight, you're going to get all these benefits from this greatest exercise thing we could do is, is just to fucking move, right? If you tell somebody that and they've never had good experiences exercising or they're obese or they have a messed up knee and hip and back and they can't move, there's still something for them, and that's why breath work is universal. Like it's truly universal. I've had times where I've had a, you know, shoulder surgery and couldn't work out for a year. I had a, I have a hurt knee right now, and I can do very limited working out, but I can always do breath work wherever I'm at. And the the truth is, 
as Wim Hof would say, feeling is believing and feeling is understanding. And when you shift your own neurochemistry through breath work from that fight or flight panic mode, which we're often in as type A personalities and, and go, go, go in the West, you know, I mean, many stay at home moms are there. We see that with, with, um, I don't know if you saw the documentary, take your pills. How many women no, are prescribed? I seeing that. It's recommended on it's, Netflix. It's, it's awesome. So, it's so good. It's on Adderall and amphetamines and Vyvanse and things of that nature. But a lot of the people being prescribed now are stay-at-home moms because they want to get shit done. And the truth is when you're in that mentality, you cannot rest. There is no break for you. And the peace comes in any spiritual tradition or religious context to know peace in yourself is to embody that peace. And we can shift that through breathing. Yoga is a practice that is done simply to open up the body so you can sit still in your body and meditate. It has very little to do with getting stronger and more fit and more limber. It has everything to do with opening up the body so when you sit still, you can remain still and embody peace. And people think, I mean, yoga is awesome. I love it. My wife's doing yoga teacher training. But people often forget that's the reason you do it. And a great example is oftentimes I'll go to sit quietly doing meditation and I feel antsy or I feel like i got to move my legs or I feel like I have to do something. Well, that that's what yoga was invented for is to get rid of that. And that's just one aspect. There's Tai Chi. There's movement breath work. There's Kundalini. There's literally hundreds of different methods we can do to hack the mind. And when we feel better and we feel calm and alert, that allows us to process things appropriately. We don't – you know, the guy that cuts us off in traffic – it doesn't matter anymore. You know, we can take a deep breath and relax and know, hey, that guy's just in a rush. It's okay. No harm, no foul. But on the flip side of that, if we're go, 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 and we're in a rush and everything's panic and the guy cuts us off, you just saw your life flash before your eyes. And <laughs> rage happens, right? And we, it's all the time. It's my, I've embodied that myself for many years. And so having tools like breath work, and this is one of many, uh, plant medicines being some of the most profound that I've used, but really, what you know, can't do plant medicines all the time. So, what is the daily practice that I have now that, that works? It's it's breath work is probably the shortest way to change my neurochemistry and the way that I feel that I know of. Um, cold baths is an excellent way to get into meditation because you can't think about anything else except slowing down your breathing and being present. So, even if it's just three to five minutes, that's an excellent way to hack your brain while you're burning fat and lowering inflammation and pain and just working on the body systemically. That's interesting. You mentioned Wim Hof. I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, I guess, two years ago now, and he was there and led the whole arena in a breathing exercise. And that was absolutely incredible. And I totally left there and forgot about it. But I think I want to say I held my breath for four minutes. That's and that is good. a really long time for me. <laughs> I never held my breath that long. Yeah, that's really good. And that's that's true, you know, hyperventilation. It's not hyperventilation, it's hyperoxygenating. You know, right. and you're blowing those deep, big Wim Hof breaths are blowing off carbon dioxide. And as you do that, you can hold more oxygen longer. And that's one of the excuse me, one of the reasons you can have that really extended breath hold when you finish three to five rounds of the deep breathing. I recommend to people all the time. I mean, I have no affiliation, but WimHoffMethod.com is an excellent resource um, to learn about the cold, to learn about yoga and opening up the body, and certainly to learn breath work that you feel immediately. You know, that's a powerful tool. And uh, 
Um, and it's a beautiful thing to have that, to know like wherever I go, no matter what the situation is, I can tap into that. Yeah. So let's, okay, so meditation, breath work, what's next? Food or exercise <laughs> or something else? Well, I mean, I'd say they're all, they're all intertwined, you know, food and exercise. One of the things that I've learned to do as I've slowed down and, and post retirement is just to move better. You know, I was into powerlifting and distance running. I've run a 50K ultra at 238 pounds. Those are all really taxing things, and they can be meditative and beautiful in their own way when we push the envelope. But as far as the things I can be consistent with, just how do I move better? We, you know, at Onnit, we use kettlebells and steel maces and a lot of other things. We incorporate high intensity intervals with a myriad of different fitness equipment. And the bottom line is, how many systems can I hit in a shorter window? And then tackle on a sauna at the end of that workout to where I'm really getting the most benefit to my body and not beating myself up. You know, as a dad with a, with a three-year-old, I don't want to show up just dragging ass, for lack of a better term, because I put my body through the grinder. That's not being a good dad. I mean, how many parents show up from work and they've got nothing left in the tank for their children and they just tell their children to go play in their room or they turn on the TV and kick their feet up and they don't integrate with their kids. You know, it's, it's a huge issue. So, I mean, that's not the type of parent I want to be. And, um, there's certainly ways that I hack that, you know, I do cold therapy right when I get home from work because it's a boost in energy and I want to, I have a reason to want to run and burn off so I can heat my body back up. But, um, you know, all these things play into it. Diet certainly plays into it. Even if you're going to eat carbohydrates, one of the things they talk about in Aubrey's book on the day is if you can eat lower carbohydrate during the day, you don't go on this carbohydrate roller coaster where you know you start the day with a bagel or a bowl of cereal or something like that, and three hours later you're starving for carbohydrates because your blood sugar shot up and then insulin shot up and it brought it back down. So I don't want to be a slave to my eating. I certainly don't want to have to eat every two to three hours. So by going lower carbohydrate during the day, increasing fats and proteins, I can kind of hack that system and then especially at lunch, I'm not going to hit the wall at two to three in the afternoon like most people do and need caffeine. Then I can have my carbohydrates at night if, if it's summertime and I'm eating carbohydrates or if it's some of the winter, early spring months like now, I'm going to have, um, I'm still going to be keto pretty much around the clock, you know, and just save the carbohydrates for eating out and things like that, which is always going to be dinner time. I'm not going to, if I go out to eat for lunch or breakfast, it's going to be lower carbohydrate. I think that plays a huge role in the energy that we have throughout the day. So I, explain your version of keto. I know every there's a wide range at this point. Um, and then also carbohydrates. Like are we talking just whole grains and starchy stuff or vegetables? Or do, they, do those fall into the carb category? Yes. All, all grains are out when it comes to keto. And that doesn't mean that I won't eat them on occasion. Like I said, if I go out to eat sushi for dinner one night, I'm not going to worry that it's served on white rice. Uh, it's not problematic for me. I, I don't ever eat gluten anymore because of the intolerance. Um, but as far as carbohydrates and things like that, if I have it at dinner, it's not the end of the world. When I'm actually in ketosis, uh, all grains are out, and they have been for about six months, unless it's a, a cheap dinner, you know, because I'm out of town. Um, I would say my carbohydrates are under 50 grams a day. That's going to come from the small amount of carbohydrates and dark leafy greens like kale, collards, uh, Swiss chard, things of that nature. Um, pretty much no fruit either, you know. And when I go when when summertime rolls around, I'll have uh, berries and things like that. People think that because berries are in their freezer, 
year-round, that it's a year-round food. We tr should try to eat seasonally. You know, there's a lot of argument on what's available to us now versus what our ancestors ate, and then what did our ancestors eat? You know, that's the huge argument against paleo. But the truth is, as Americans, we're a lot. A lot of us are mutts, so you can't just say my genetic. Oh, I had a lot of people from Europe, or I had a lot of people from the equator. If you have a lot of people from the equator in your family line, maybe you do better with carbohydrates. But everyone practiced fasting, and if you're you were further from the equator, odds are carbohydrates were not available for a part of the year. So at least three to six months, it's a good idea to reset your metabolism and have this thing they call metabolic flexibility where you lower insulin resistance, you lower your ability uh, or you, you increase your ability to tolerate carbohydrates simply by going through a period of time where you reduce them. And that means in summertime, I'll do better with carbohydrates. But I have type 2 diabetes runs on my mom's side of the family. And Alzheimer's and Parkinson's runs on my father's side of the family. And, and a lot of the neurodegenerative diseases that they have now, they're being considered type 3 diabetes. So all of these are, are mitigated or at least started through elevated levels of blood sugar over time. And that happens with insulin resistance. And it happens from consuming carbohydrates around the clock. So how do you – you mentioned that your state of mind is better when you're in – a keto when you're on a keto diet like explain how that kind of developed for you yeah i mean there dr dominic d'agostino is probably one of the better guys to look up in terms of really dialing dialing in the science when it comes to th things of that nature there's there's some speculation that it works on the gaba pathway we have two master pathways in the brain when it comes to neurotransmitters gaba being our rest and restore um and glutamate being our excitatory uh, chemical responses. So if we shift that into GABA, we're going to be a lot calmer. Um, anyone who's taken GABA understands this from a from a chemical standpoint. The party or date rate drug GHB is based on GABA, and that's very relaxing uh, to people <laughs> who may have tried that in the past. Yeah. Um, if we do shift ourselves into that state, and then again, this is all new science, so things are just coming out now. A lot of it's done on mice. It's not like there's a wealthy human trials when it comes to these mechanisms of action. But as with the breath work, I felt my brain turn on, you know, and I felt it in a different way. I felt like I could re retain more information from it. And that to me, especially coming out of fighting in a long, long time playing football since I was 10 years old, um, to, to not only start to reverse whatever damage had been done to my brain, but to feel my brain really turn on in a way that it hadn't before, that was all I needed to know that there's something special about that diet. And a lot of people report that. It's not it's not just me saying this can help improve cognitive function. Many people report that. Even from supplementing with exogenous ketones, people can feel that in a much more moderate way. Um, and I'm not big on exogenous ketones. I think they have, they're a tool that can be used, but the real medicine is in restricting carbohydrates, employing some form of intermittent fasting, and, and seeing what happens to your brain. But it takes time. You know, so many people say, "Yeah, I tried that diet for a week and it sucked," or "I tried for two or three weeks and it sucked." And it takes you know four to eight weeks to really get keto adapted, where your body will use fat for fuel. And I think that's where you truly understand what's going on inside and the magic of that diet. Right. So, what do you do? Like, what? Explain, like total human optimization and what that means to you as a, as a total picture. So total human optimization is the tagline here at Onnit, and really it's just about how do we optimize all aspects of our life. 
you know, and that can be the physical, the mental, the emotional, spiritual, every practice that we have that helps us gain a little bit more control over our lives, helps us feel a little bit better in the day to day, anything that we can do to optimize, um, you know, there's this argument, if I'm optimizing, I'm not adapting. Dr. Andy Galpin talked about that on the podcast. And the truth is, there's there's a bit of truth to that. Like, if I was going to, say, optimize my workout, I'd probably take some carbohydrates and ketones for it. Um, that's not going to make me, that's going to make the workout easier, per se, so I could push harder longer. It's not necessarily going to give me the best training effect. You know, if I was to work out fasted, that's not optimizing the workout. But I would get the most training effect from that workout working out fast, right? So there's this balance people go back and forth about. And um, the truth is total human optimization is encompassing all of that. It's doing the fasted workout. It's, it's getting to bed earlier. It's finding some form of meditation that works for you. It's playing with different forms of breath work. It's mobility and yoga and opening up the body in a way so that you're not going to get hurt and that so you move better. You know, and you feel better in the workouts. Any nagging injury can be solved, and 90% of the time, probably without surgery. And if you do surgery, it's all those same practices from Dr. Kelly Sturette, Becoming a Supple Leopard, um, his website, mobility.wad.com. I had shoulder surgery, and doing his principles in his book helped me get back full range of motion much faster. Uh, because of that and then remain injury free post-surgery. So it's, it's how many tools can we add to the toolbox that help influence us in all areas. And that's a lot for people to really break down. A lot of people that go to onit.com, they're like, shit, where do I start? And, you know, I <laughs> I'm do a mess. I can't do any of this. I'm a mess. <laughs> and I do, you know, I do Facebook lives every couple of weeks. It's a Q and a, we get, Quite a few questions on if I was to take one supplement, what what should it be? And the answer is, and this goes for any of the practices I've just mentioned or supplements or anything of that nature, is what matters to you most. you got to prioritize where you're lacking, take a deeper dive into what you'd like to improve, and then put that at the top of the list and work on those things. If it's improving cognitive function, then yeah, maybe you take alpha brain or some form or nootropic. Um, Certainly, working on sleep, I think, is an answer to 99% of the population. Yes. Whether the goal is fat loss, recovery, performance enhancement, cognitive function, uh, memory, you name it, sleep impacts all that. Um, there's, so there's, there's a lot of avenues we can go, but I mean, really just figuring out for yourself, like, what should I work on first? Just start knocking them down one at a time. And that's when you start to build momentum and you see all these, how much everything plays into everything else. You know, if I move better and I don't overdo it, because just as big of an issue is undertraining is overtraining. And so many people overtrain. We've seen it in the CrossFit community and it's not a knock on CrossFit. It's just not everyone can be CrossFit champ. You know, it's an issue in mixed martial arts, but where I come from, a lot of people show up to fights hurt. Or they have to pull out of the fight late because they get injured late in training camp. That's because they were overtrained. So, you, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. And, you know, starting slowly in any one discipline can, can have a number of benefits. And I can see change from – I just did a 20-minute workout before this podcast because I wanted energy. I didn't want it to be something where I'd show up lagging and really require a lot of oxygen to recover from that. I wanted something to be building and uplifting. So if you understand the why, uh, you'll figure out the how. And 
I think that's 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 critical for, for anyone starting out and wanting to do better for themselves. There's always going to be a laundry list. I still have the laundry list. I'm known as the, the company guinea pig here because I'll try anything out on myself first to see if it works and then pass it along to everyone else in the office. And if it's, if it's really good, then that's something we adopt as a company. So I know one of the things that people trying to get their life together, whether it's fitness or nutrition, a lot of people struggle with the wagon. And I like to say there is no wagon. Like when people say, oh, I've fallen off the wagon. I say there is no wagon. This is just life. It's a straight line. Keep going. But what do you say to people when they feel that they have taken one step forward, two steps back? Like what gets you motivated to keep going? Or or what kind of tidbits do you have to allow people to see see that a short-term you know, fall off is not fatal. I think that really, in, in our society, that's a big problem. We just think, you know, oh, I'm, I ate that, so screw it, you know? Yeah, you know, we do that all the time with our New Year's resolutions and things of that nature. But the truth is, it's just about moving forward, you know, and, and forgiveness. If you can forgive yourself for falling off the wagon, it's a lot easier to get back on the wagon. And this other concept, especially when it pertains to diet, is that we all eat for mouth pleasure. You know, that's a that's a term I take from Joe Rogan and Aubrey Marcus, but it's true. We think like, oh, I lost 20 pounds, now I'm going to go eat a pile of shit and just <laughs> worry about the five pounds that I'll gain from that. But the truth is, it's not just how much weight I lost versus how much weight I'll gain from this food. We now know 80 to 90% of the neurotransmitters we have are made in the gut by the microbiome. So when you eat the problematic food, you're messing up neurochemistry. You're messing up sleep. You're messing up emotional and and your your state of being, how you're going to react to things when stuff hits the fan. The more we can mitigate that, and I I still have cheat meals, but I cheat clean. I don't cheat with pizza because I'm gluten intolerant. I'll cheat with an against-the-grain pizza that's made with tapioca starch, or I'll make my own ice cream with coconut cream and stevia or swerve as the sweetener. And there's ways you can get around. So, you know, Quest Nutrition uh, coined this term, cheat clean, hashtag cheat clean. And I absolutely love it because I always tell people, um, if you're going to have a bad meal, make it yourself. Make the food yourself. Know the quality of meat. You know, people say cheeseburgers are bad. That's only fast food. If if I make a grass-fed burger with some really good raw cheese melted on top and all the fixing, you know, some some, – sauteed red onions and medicinal mushrooms like that's a that's a high micronutrient dense meal that is loaded with good stuff and that's going to do very well for my body i don't need the bun you know lettuce wrap at in and out is cool but it's still fucking mcdonald's meat that you're eating (laughs) so make it yourself and people are lazy when it comes to their food also know where's the good fast food um the Power of Habit was a good book. One of the things I took away from that is that it's very that hard. Yeah. great book. It's very hard to get rid of a habit once it's ingrained in the brain, but you can change the habit. So if the habit is now every Tuesday and Wednesday I get off work late, I'm going to go out to eat somewhere quick, choose Chipotle or choose a good organic restaurant that's nearby instead of McDonald's or something garbage, right? If you have that ability to no longer get rid of the habit, but you change it to something that leaves you more whole than when you started, that's an excellent way to switch it up so that you can still get something quick, but you know there's there that it's going to help fuel your body, your mind, and your state of being. That is so helpful. I mean, I, I also am gluten and dairy intolerant, 
And I tend to get in the cycle of the reward behavior. And one thing that was really helpful on your podcast was hearing you say that the reward should never diminish the goal. And so, you know, I go for four to six weeks doing very well for myself. I don't want to say dieting, but eating things that are good for me. And then I'll go eat ice cream. And I know that just undid all the good stuff in my gut. And, you know, mentally, I feel like I could kill everyone the next day. It's just, it's so important that we realize what our limitations are and we abide by those, keep those promises to ourselves. I mean, because it's just a mess. It just becomes this crazy cycle otherwise. Yeah, and a lot of people complain on a keto diet, and I recommend this to people whether you eat carbohydrates or not. You shouldn't get carbohydrates from sweets and, and garbage. You know, get your carbohydrates from sweet potatoes, yams, whatever carbohydrates are right from you for you. And Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf is an excellent resource and how you can figure that out for yourself through blood testing. Um, but there's a book called Fat Bombs, which is an excellent book on how to make sweet or savory snacks and desserts. And you can do this with plant-based sweeteners, so you can still literally have, maybe not your cake, but you can have something that's going to benefit your body and be satiating, and it's not going to destroy you on top of that. And throughout the book, they break down, this is keto, this is paleo, um, I think every recipe is keto, but it would be you know paleo, they have vegan recipes too for vegans. I mean, it's a phenomenal resource because we like to have treats on occasion, and you want to know that treat's not going to hurt you. Right. Is there, and this may be opening up a can of worms, so feel free to say, eh, if you don't want to answer it, but is there a way to do the ketogenic diet as a vegan? Yes. Yes, there is. We just wrote an article on it uh, at onit.com. Sean Heisen's one of our writers, and, and uh, there is a way to do that. I think the ketogenic cookbook has several vegan recipes. It's actually easier for a vegan to get into keto, mm-hmm. and the that is... Higher protein is one of the causes of people coming out of ketosis, and a lot of people think from the Atkins diet that it's a high-protein diet. Obviously, you hear people eating the carnivore diet, which I think is comical at best right. to only live meat. But um, yeah, there's many ways, and a lot of it uses coconut cream and things like that because you have to up your fat. But avocado oil, olive oil, you know, it's it's loading up on the oils to an extent where you you may think you're having too much fat, but it's it's really healthy. It's it's um I eat I eat that way once a week. We got meatless Mondays and it's a it's a light training day and I try to keep protein restriction on that day for longevity purposes. And I think that um it's much easier. I see my ketones go up because I measure blood ketones fairly regularly. And uh yeah, it can be done as a vegan. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about UFC and fighting, because I know some of the people want to hear about that. What was what were some of the I guess best memories you have from being in the octagon or maybe outside of the octagon <laughs> but during that time period well let's see i mean i got to travel the world we got to do tours for the troops so being fought, fighting in the ufc they would send us on goodwill tours for the military kind of like um uso style through armed forces entertainment and uh that was fantastic i got to go to a lot of places like saddam's palace in iraq uh, i've been to afghanistan twice i've been all over the Middle East, Europe, um, and that's you know wouldn't have happened if I wasn't fighting in the UFC. Obviously, that happened in between fight camps. But I met my wife on one of those tours for the troops. She was a ring girl in the UFC, and um, they used to send three fighters and two ring girls. So I actually met her in Kuwait and Iraq, and spent a couple of weeks and became good friends with her. And 
and here we are today with a little three-year-old. So, uh, you know, that wouldn't have happened without fighting. And, um, but as far as like fights, like if people are fight fans and they want to hear what my favorite yeah, fight, that. <laughs> um, I would say is when I fought Jimmy Manawa in Nottingham, England. Um, Jimmy at the time was 13 and 0. No one had ever made it out of the first round against him. Just a, a, a real powerhouse. And, uh, I was coming off two losses and in the fight previous to that against Glover Teixeira, I really was the only fight I've ever given up in. I'd been beaten so bad, uh, I was just looking for a way out. I remember holding up my hands while he was on top of me, pounding me, just thinking like, please fucking stop. <laughs> choked me and I tapped. And um, I thought a lot about that fight and that loss because, you know, on camera it didn't look that way, but I knew what happened personally. I knew that I had quit, that I wanted out of that fight desperately. And so going into this fight with Jimmy, I really wanted to prove to myself what kind of a person I was, and then I had that fire in me still. And Jimmy, um, he ended up breaking my left orbital. It was the second time that's happened, and my left eyebrow with a shot, and then he knocked me out. And I, I remember hitting the canvas in slow motion, turning to him and kicking him away, getting to my feet, shaking it off and moving forward that was all in the first round and uh so we're heading into the second round i'm the only guy that's made it out of the second round my cornerman says fuck everything fuck the game plan fuck trading with this guy you're not gonna box you're not gonna do muay thai you're gonna take him down at any cost and i just went out there with that with that mindset and kept taking him down and wearing him down and taking him down uh punching him when I could, hitting elbows when I could, and I won the second round. And, you know, they stopped the fight in between the second and the third because I looked like sloth from the Goonies and I couldn't <laughs> see an eye. So, um, and rightfully so, you know, he won the fight uh, because they had stopped it on my own medical. And, you know, at that point, I wanted to continue. I thought, man, I could take this guy. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing him down. Um, so even though that was a loss, still – one of my favorite fights because I proved to myself my worth and I knew there was no quit, all determination in that fight. And that's something I look back on that I can hang my head high with is knowing that that was still in me at the time when I needed it. I love it. So one more question, Kyle, and I suspect I know your answer, but I'd like to hear yours. This podcast is called The Same 24 Hours and it was born out of the idea that we all have the exact same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do with those 24 hours and how we choose to live them that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So I like to ask my guest, what is something that you do on a daily basis that makes the most of your 24 hours? Yeah, you know, there's, I mean, without question, Paul Check talks about this concept of working in versus working out. I think we all try to get our workouts in, but we never work in. We never build the system from within, and that could employ any type of meditation, breath work, tai chi, qigong, standing meditation. So I don't have any one practice that I gravitate towards regularly. I just know on a daily basis I'm either going to do some form of breath work or some form of meditation or a combination thereof. And as often as I need it, if I feel antsy or, or I'm overstressed from the amount of work that I have going on, even just two to three minutes can change the way that I feel. And then all the noise of the world gets quieted. Everything shifts and calms down. And from there, I do better in my decision-making processes. I have more energy for my son and for work, and, and I'm more productive in a meaningful way. I think that's, that's been one of the greatest tools 
that I've, that I've adopted. But I would recommend people check out the book on the day on your life by Aubrey Marcus, because it is a breakdown of how you would live one perfect 24 hour cycle. Everything from the food you put in your body to when you work out to when you have sex to when you unwind with a glass of wine or a little cannabis, it's all included. Uh, meditation, driving practices, you know, people have, people will say the worst time of their day is their morning and evening commutes. So what do you do with that time? You can choose to be mindful and to practice meditation during that drive, or you can mind fill with a great podcast like yours or Onnit's or Aubrey's, and even a book from Audible. There's, there's, so much on Audible, especially now with the great courses from Audible where you can take a college-level course while you're sitting in your car. Mm-hmm. So how we manage that time really leads to making bigger gains over time. And uh, you know, our motto is to live each day a little bit better than we did the day before. And I think it, it really becomes a lot easier when you have a system in place that can guide you through what the morning looks like, afternoon, evening, and all those practices. Well, awesome. I appreciate your time, Kyle. I'll post links to you. You gave us a lot of good resources, so I'll dig those up and, and post them. But um, thanks for your time. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. 